Welcome to the Mindful Medicine Podcast. I, Juliana Zapatel, will be your host, bringing in experts to discuss a holistic approach to well-being using Eastern philosophy and Western research. Welcome internationally celebrated Dharma teacher of teachers, Callie Bassman, who blends Buddhist psychology with mindful-based yin and restorative yoga. Today, we will be discussing the internal family systems model. I'm Callie Bassman. I'm the founder of Kali Durga Yoga. And essentially, it's a intermingling of some of the most potent wisdom traditions that I've come across that are most effectively transformative in the realm of healing trauma. And so there's a a real blending in what I offer that incorporates strands and threads from the Buddhist lineage and from the paradigm of yin yoga, which I find is a really important way of leveraging the intelligence of the body to overcome emotional difficulty. And then I also pull in a lot of strands in the depth psychology field and the work around trauma-informed psychotherapy and most specifically internal family systems. And so all of these features I bring with in, in my own practice field, but also in my teaching life as a coach, as a Dharma teacher, um, and as a retreat leader, as a kind of robust package to penetrate the ways that the body-mind gets frozen or congested because of just the the worldly turbulence that we're asked to meet. So that's just a little bit about who I am uh, and what I offer. I've been a long-time yoga teacher and uh, internal family systems coach. I'm also a death doula, and I've worked for over a decade now with the United Nations. I am a consultant for their Africa Affairs Committee, so I've got my hand in a lot of different types of healing modalities. Wow, that's amazing. I'm curious uh, what got you started on your personal mindfulness journey and made you realize this is something that is important to bring to others. And specifically with the internal family systems model, what introduced Mm. you to that? Mm. I love this question. And I've listened to so many podcasts and read so many articles of other yoga teachers who have this kind of like come to Jesus moment, you know, the first time they unroll their mat or the first time they uh, enter into a meditation hall and that there's this almost immediate recognition of the work and the importance of the work. And, you know, for me, it was not that kind of fairy tale story. It's been a really long, pretty arduous traverse uh, over several decades now. And knowing from a young age that 
yoga and mindfulness were some important remedies to the anxiety and the depression that I faced as a preteen and as an adolescent. But it it never erupted as this instantaneous healing. Um, yoga, I remember dragging myself to yoga classes in high school and also in early college, feeling like I know that there's something here and it feels important, but the motivation to completely transform my life and dedicate myself to uh, practice was lacking. And so it's been more of this long-term relationship and with meditation as well, you know, I still feel like there are seasons of my life where I'm just you know, dragging myself to the cushion or or to the yoga mat. And and so it's this kind of dedication and, and the continued dedication that I have to surround myself lifelong with teachers and with Sangha, with spiritual family that reminds me that these are essential practices. And I don't think, you know, for many of us, I don't think it's a, a snap realization that then instantly transforms us. Internal family systems, however, I can kind of say the opposite. And for the first time in my life, feeling like, you know, I've, I've always sought out therapy and coaches and intuitives and teachers. And there's been, like I said, that long term dedication and that continued return Um, But with IFS, you know, the first time I heard about it uh, from a teacher of mine, there was like a light bulb that went off. There was this instantaneous, very synchronistic understanding about the multiple dimensions of our psyches. And I healed very, very quickly in the using the internal family systems format because it so directly addresses our our exiles and our emotional burdens in ways that you know the the regular dogma of trauma therapy is that it takes many many years to unravel from the constrictions of those experiences but IFS from the first time that I learned about it it was this almost lightning strike of, um, gosh, the word that's coming up is revelation for me. It was really a liberating psychological format. And it's why I bring it to the forefront of all that I teach and all that I offer today because of its instantaneous impact on our own turbulence, our own inner chaos. Yeah, that's really interesting because I meet a lot of people with a similar story of it's really difficult for them to step on the mat or to engage with their meditation practice. Um, And they'll go to yoga to go, but they're not necessarily open to receiving all of the wisdom that it, it shares. So I'm wondering what the shift was for you with that to become more open with that and, and to step into that role as a teacher as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's important to speak 
explicitly about the difficulty in self-discipline and dedication to something like a daily lifelong yoga practice because we do hear all the time right these stories of uh people who find yoga and and are forever practitioners in every way and i i think that there's more of an organic uh flow in our commitment and our dedication to to yoga specifically so for me it's been you know i weave in and out there are seasons of my life where i need at least two practices a day and i'm meditating throughout the day morning and evening and then there's times when i'm on the road and i'm traveling and i'm rock climbing or i'm hiking with friends and and it it does slip to the wayside and a, a different kind of yoga takes root so there there is that flexibility on at least in my own spiritual path that i think it's helpful to hear from others um but in terms of when it really rooted for me as a lifelong relationship a long-term relationship to to yoga was when i was traveling uh this was really right after college i entered into you know the real world with this sense of necessity in forging a path and knowing the kind of work that i was going to do in the world and defining that and the way that i i came closer to myself was through a lot of travel and i lived in peru for a year and was teaching yoga in the sacred valley and then went to bali and did uh several certifications and immersions there and it just became this stronghold sense of stability in you know at this time as i was traveling all over there was no consistency in my daily life except for unrolling my mat and so i had a backpack i was living out of this backpack for a couple years and i had this yoga mat it was a green jade yoga mat and it came everywhere with me i slept on that mat i waited at bus stops on that mat um i remember doing an art project on the mat and there were sprinkles and glitter over all over it for several months after it just became this kind of floor this ground of being for me to return to in what was a really exciting but chaotic and uncertain world at that age of my life yeah that's really amazing i've definitely used it for that um with this time period of my life as well where everything's always changing and it's a really grounding force so i totally understand mm-hmm. that so mm-hmm. um, i'm happy to hear you found that as well yeah definitely so i'm excited to jump deeper into this internal family systems model but i i think beforehand it's really important that we address really what trauma is and and how it changes and affects our mind and our body and so if you could go into some detail about the fight slash flight response how it affects the nervous system and 
you know, especially over time, what this does to our perception of ourselves in the world. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think before jumping into um, fight or flight and PTSD, one of the things that I love about internal family systems is that it treats conditions like PTSD as not a disorder of the entire system, but as kind of traumatized parts of ourselves that have been neglected or have been stunted because of overwhelming overwhelming circumstances. And so it's really important in all of trauma work to understand parts of the psyche and also parts of our brain, because there's different levels of the brain, some levels of which are unwilling to move past trauma, simply because the brain wants to keep us safe. And it's sometimes, you know, below the rational brain, it's the survival mechanism that that is the primary objective of the brain is to ensure our survival. And so in fight or flight, we are exposed to situations that you could deem outside of our window of tolerance, right? Overwhelming experiences that we then generate internal signals that warn us of dangers, right? So any stimulus that occurs outside of this window of tolerance will leverage the brain to kind of adjust our actions based on the requirements of the moment. And so trauma can really interfere with these processes because when there's a lot of internal signaling, this is biochemical signaling that the brain registers a threat and then circulates this sense of urgency or reactivity to respond to the conditions, we can over time, of course, in the moment, it can be very helpful to respond to danger or to threat. But if we're constantly signaling to ourselves that we're being threatened, that we're being triggered by danger, then there's a lot of psychological disarray that can occur, right? It's like our maps don't lead us to where we need to go. And then sometimes we can become blunted by so much inner signaling. And that's when this freeze response or almost this paralysis occurs. Um, and so I just, I just wanted to speak towards that first and foremost, that it's our brain's ultimate objective to ensure our survival and that there are parts of the brain that can kind of go into hyperreactivity after an accumulation of stress or overwhelm. And so rather than seeing the whole system as traumatized, IFS is a really helpful domain to see that it's just parts of the brain or certain roles or jobs that our safety and survival mechanisms have taken on that just need some rewiring. 
Yeah, I'm interested. I listened to a podcast a few weeks ago that spoke a lot about the harm of labeling yourself with certain disorders and how that can be really limiting. And it seems like IFS is kind of a way for someone to move past this idea that they always carry anxiety disorder or PTSD and that it's actually just certain parts of us that we are able to heal. So I'm curious your perspective on if that labeling can be harmful to some degree and how IFS fights that. Mm. Absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly with that. And I think it's been so liberating uh, for myself and for so many of my clients and friends and others I know that are immersed in the IFS language. It's been such a liberating narrative shift to finally understand that, yes, I have parts of myself that are anxiously attached and hypervigilant and envious or urgent or constantly rushing and overwhelmed. And that while that might exist, there's also whole spaces of my being that knows how to connect in and that feels really spacious and easeful and luxurious, even in the midst of difficulty. So the tolerance and the allowance of having a lot of different rhythms and textures and tones to my inner moods that Jack Cornfield would call the the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows of being alive. It's really a much wider and more inclusive approach to living a complex multidimensional life and having different roles of our system that can respond to varied circumstances along the life path. Yeah, definitely. So for people who are newer to internal family systems model, could you briefly describe what this process looks like and how you engage with it with your clients? Absolutely. So a few central tenants or kind of principles of the internal family systems model is that we all essentially have multiple personalities and that we have many, many parts within us that have evolved to operate in a complex world. And these parts are born of different ages, right? So I've got like the three-year-old girl in me that's still longing to be held and cared for. And then I have, you know, the seven-year-old girl that just wants to be liked and accepted in, you know, a new school setting. And maybe the 13-year-old girl who challenges authority and has a bit of a rebellious streak. And so all of the ages that I've ever existed as, I still carry those experiences with me and, and those parts will lifelong need to be tended to and and cared for. And then I also have many roles, and this is true for all of us, that we all have different roles, different hats that we wear in a complex social world. So I'm a teacher and I'm also a student. And I'll need both of those parts to be active 
in order for me to feel fulfilled and full. And then I also have the part that's a partner, which isn't the same role as being a teacher. And I have a part that's a daughter and a friend and an artist and a poet and um, all of these different interests. My, for some of us, make us feel fragmented. But in the IFS paradigm, the objective is to integrate all of our parts, that all of them are welcome. All of them have important experiences and insights and that they all have a common goal of keeping us safe and content. Even the parts that are destructive, like the part that might be envious of others or the part that is constantly worrying about what others think that these parts have a, a root objective to keep the whole inner family the inner tribe safe and that we'll have to get to the root of their concerns and their experiences in life in order to bring them back to a sense of safety and so all of our parts are welcome they all have benevolent intentions, even the ones that cheat and lie and steal, that at the root, there are benevolent intentions to all of our parts. All of our parts are good. And then the, the second really important feature of IFS is that there is an essence underneath the parts. We call it the self with a capital S. It's like the you who is not a part. We, we sometimes call it Buddha nature. You may refer to it as inner divinity, higher source, higher self. Uh, so many religious traditions and spiritual traditions agree that there's a soul that isn't concerned with the conditions of the mundane world. And that's where our parts are really helpful to move us through the world and to move us through our life but the soul is from time before time before time and so it's unconcerned with you know bank account or with the status of our relationships or diet or any of that it's a self entity that is the resource for healing the system and so ifs really brings the regenerative force of healing trauma and unburdening our exiles or our disturbances. It brings it back to the practitioner itself, meaning there's nowhere outside of self that we need to seek to heal. It comes from within. And so the IFS exercises are about learning to return to self and from that anchored baseline, that Buddha nature that's very clear and very open and very wise and kind, that that self source can then reach out to our troubled parts and can reach out to our neglected inner children and bring them to wholeness and bring them closer to self. 
Yeah. So I'd love to expand on um, how Buddhism plays a role in this model and go deeper into, you know, what is Buddha nature and how does one cultivate that? Maybe is it through a meditation or yoga practice or are there other ways? Um, yeah, just the, the crossroad of Buddhism and modern day psychotherapy. Yes, thank you for bringing that inquiry in. And it's another reason, reason 108, why I'm so enthralled by the internal family systems model, because I've, I've really traversed a lot of the psychosomatic lineages and the Western psychology formats and IFS is the only one I've found that directly aligns with what I've come to know as true as a soul on this planet and through all of the spiritual seeking and the insight seeking through yoga and meditation and Buddhist lineages. Because IFS acknowledges that spiritual reservoir of the self in buddhism we call it buddha nature because the understanding in what's really a pragmatic tradition is that buddhists buddhists lean into the potential that all of us have to be radically awake and open and unconstricted. And this concept of Buddha nature essentially points to the assumption that we're all born in with this basic goodness and this inner space that's very kind and and very clear. And over time, as we age and we're confronted with difficulty and turbulence on the life path, we start to harden and our parts instead start to armor and take on these more fearful or aggressive roles in order to keep keep us safe in, in what we've sensed to be a hostile world. But a lot of internal family systems and a lot of Buddhist meditation practice as well is about removing our armor and laying down our call to arms and softening. And so there's this reminder in both IFS and Buddhism that in any one moment, we have the opportunity to to soften and to open and to turn towards this remembrance of, you could call it our nobility, that we're good, that we are okay, and that there's this ever-present source of stability and contentment we can reach in deep in through the pores, sink into the, the level of the soul and find stability and what's called 
santosha. It's a Sanskrit word. It, it means contentment. Yeah, so you touched on this idea of softening, especially when we have more destructive parts. So what does the role of curiosity and compassion play in this process? Mm. <laughs> so in internal family systems, there is a theory that the self is universal and that all of our selves with a capital S share some really important features or qualities that you can tap into to reorient to Buddha nature. And these qualities, there's actually eight of them. These qualities are ways that you can be sure that self is present and that you're not just playing a part, meaning you have a at least some access to Buddha nature, some access to that inner space. So you're not operating from fear. You're not operating from anxiety, right? The amygdala, the, the smoke detector organ in the nervous system isn't firing. There's a, a sense of inner space that that's exuded. And so two of those qualities are curiosity and compassion. There's six more C words. They, there's a list of eight C words that that basically are characterizing what self energy, what what Buddha nature is, and curiosity and compassion are two really important features. And I'm happy to to kind of go into the the description of of both of those kind of abstract, sexy buzzwords: curiosity and, and compassion. If um, if that would be helpful, yeah, definitely. I think that'd be great. Great. So curiosity is is kind of said to be the cornerstone of Buddhist practice, and also I'm Jewish by lineage, and so I I bring that background and that ancestry in, and and it's the same in in the Kabbalah and in ancient Jewish texts that curiosity, you know, this, this struggling with God, this wrestling with God and the asking of questions and the deep inquiry and the contemplation and the self-reflections that are what informs our spiritual life. I once had a teacher tell me it's the questions we're asking or not asking that determine our evolution. And so curiosity is that defining feature of, you know, that childlike kind of wonder. It's at the core of mindfulness practice as well, that inquiry, what's it like right now? You know, how is life unfolding in this moment? What's my relationship to the conditions around me and within me right now? How am I? Like, how am I doing really? And so we'll need to ask these types of questions lifelong. And, and I really do feel like most of us are, are starving for that deeper kind of inquiry. It's where the contemplative art is so important. And why I love bringing in inquiry in, in yin yoga poses is just 
to sink in deep again to the level of the soul and really be brave and courageous in asking these deeper questions about our life. So that's curiosity. And when there's a sense of curiosity, we can be sure that there's a access road to self energy in any moment. So even in the midst of, let's say it's a deep conflict with your partner and you're in the middle of some marital strife and there's an edginess and there's a defensiveness and there's, you know, triggers and yelling and all of that. If you could just pause for a moment and seek out an, an inner space that feels a little bit curious, like, huh, how interesting that this is happening or what is the purpose of this? Or what can I learn from this? You know, if there's that kind of probing, even in the middle of turmoil, then you've drawn on your inner Buddha. And you can be sure that that curiosity will actually melt some of the armor that we so automatically amesh ourselves in. The curiosity is really important especially when we want to rewire any destructive habits or well-honed patterns of tension. Curiosity is a, a instantaneous way to bring the inner Buddha forward. Compassion is, oof, compassion is a lifelong approach to how we meet ourselves and therefore to how we meet others. So to have this sense of loving kindness, of friendliness to even our most embarrassing or shameful parts will then develop a tolerance and a resiliency to meet difficulty and to be a source of safety for others. And compassion too, just like curiosity is really a cornerstone of these rich, religious and spiritual traditions that recognize interconnectedness. And so whether it's the internal family or our extended family or the family of the human species, the baseline perspective that we wish others well and we wish them free of suffering that really gets baked into the bones and allows kind of a more golden tone to our life that's incredibly healing and essential. Yeah. So we we discussed a lot of the rational ways that we can work through trauma and how we're working through it with our minds. Um, but I'm curious because when, when I'm teaching yin, I use curiosity and compassion as well for the body and the sensations that are coming up in the body and how we react to those. So what is this importance and connection of the body in this process? And 
Do you think that's sometimes left out of the conversation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, this is why I think yin is such an important practice to bring in because the reality is that we will be exposed to abuse and to violence in our life. And that that type of exposure does foster the development of hyperactive kind of alarm systems within us. I mentioned the amygdala being one important feature in our nervous system that basically sounds the alarm and starts to mold the body to get stuck in fight or flight and for some of us freeze. And so that type of difficulty, right? We call that trauma that interferes with the way the brain circuits are focusing and our flexibility and our being able to stay in emotional control as well. So the process of regaining what we call interoception, really understanding the sensations that are occurring in the body and the edges of, of stimulus, right? Meeting an edge in a posture and then finding a rhythm of respiration or a buoyancy of the breath to self-soothe, it starts to reassert the empowerment of choosing to stay open, choosing to stay soft, right? Removing that armor. So we regain a control in deciding when to react, right? Because sometimes our survival instincts and sometimes fight and flight is necessary, but to regain the authority of the inner system to choose, you know, when to step out of that sense of danger and when to recruit that mechanism is a really powerful thing. Yeah. So all of these healing modalities that we've discussed, um, when you're using them with clients, have you seen the change in your clients um, in a way that they've been able to recover to some degree and thrive because of these practices and and how so? Absolutely, every day. And if I didn't see changes immediate and deep, I wouldn't have stuck to the path (laughs) for this long. And so it's really the experiences and the impact and the evolution in my student body and with my clients that have fueled my continuous return to studying and elaborating and, and training in these methodologies. So countless, countless examples um, across the world from so many of my students that have regained access to self-energy and how that's helped to heal abusive patterns, lineages of trauma, 
recovery from grief, fears around fertility, um, becoming, I just had recently a client that spent a lot of years in the struggle to become pregnant and so many traumatic and overburdened parts that are are born from that. And, and she is six months this month, six months pregnant. So it's really been a beautiful return to, to sense of, of motherhood, the inner kind of maternal Buddha space that, that she came back to. Um, and, and so many other beautiful stories like that. Yeah. So I know that um, with what we discussed earlier, this idea of labeling people with certain disorders um, can feel like it's impossible to change. But I remember in your training, you spoke a lot about um, neuroplasticity and this idea that our brains really are like plastic. We we have the ability to change the structure. Um, so could you provide a little information about that just to bring some hope to people who may feel really stuck? Sure. Yeah. I think that um, one of the one of the most important features in the neuroplastic understanding are our brain's ability to be malleable and to shift and to evolve is the insula because it's the part of the brain that integrates and interprets input from our internal organs, from our muscles, from our joints, and also our proprioceptive system, like what's happening around us. And it's, it's, it's in the center of the brain. It's very much, it's very much the island in the center of the brain. Insula actually means island in Latin. And it's what generates powerful feelings deep inside of the brain that, that, it's it's constantly scanning the physiological system and the entire body and the environment around us to generate subjective feelings. And so to observe consciously sensations and to activate the insula, we can actually manipulate the circuitry and manipulate the the proprioception and the perception of what's happening in us and around us to generate more feeling tones of equanimity, acceptance, appreciation, you know, all of these ingredients for, for peace and for happiness. And it's our ability. It, it really is. There's the agency of the practitioner and of, of the mindfulness crusader more than anything else. If you're, tuning in to the the body mind and to the space of the mind and you're consciously focusing your attention you're recruiting the insula to generate new attitudes of interest right of curiosity of compassion we can actually lean in or turn towards those qualities and the more we turn towards them the more that those qualities get wired in our synapses, in the circuitry, in the insula, so that it becomes rather than just a state, 
that we're practicing, it becomes an ingrained trait in the body, mind, and part of who we are. That's what neuroplasticity really means to me, is that we have the ability to mold what's a very malleable brain. And and for a long time, the dogma was that the brain is fixed after a certain age, you know, 18, 21, that we're kind of wired and that it becomes more difficult to learn new things and to take on new approaches or new attitudes. But we have found now with, with recent neurocognitive research that the brain continues to sculpt itself and to rewire and to fire new synapses, new neurons connecting, new ways of engaging lifelong. We have that ability. And so it's always, always an ample opportunity to bring in curiosity specifically and and to cultivate new tones to the to the brain waves for how we meet life and, and how we meet ourselves. Yeah, thank you. That was a great way to wrap up everything we spoke about and definitely very inspiring um, for people who may feel stuck with what they're suffering with. Um, So I'd like to just end with you expanding on some of the programs that you offer for listeners who may be interested in deepening this work with you. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for having me and, and thank you for listening. I am so excited to say in 2023 is we're really coming out of the depths of COVID that I'm offering a lot in person. Uh, I have many upcoming retreats and workshops and also some teacher trainings. They are anywhere between weekend long to a full 50 hour yoga alliance yin teacher trainings and all of the upcoming offerings for 2023 will blend in these different strands of the wisdom traditions that I think are just so helpful for healing trauma and for evolving ourselves and our communities. So they all bring in yin yoga, they all bring in internal family systems, and they all bring in the Buddha Dharma, these kind of three strands I weave together like a braid. So you are welcome to check out all of my upcoming on kalidurgayoga.com. And there are also a lot of opportunities for virtual practice, um, practice bundles. I do internal family systems, virtual circles to certify in that domain, and also private one-on-one mentorship if you're looking for a coach in any of those lineages. Great. Thank you so much for joining me today.